everybody. Welcome to a French Village podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark, and I am here with my brilliant friend, Ben Wittes, known to all. You know what? I never really say our affiliations. Do you, would you go with just Lawfare or I Brookings? Am a, I'm Lawfare and Brookings. I, 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 am, I wear both on my sleeve. Yeah. Uh, so I got to tell you. I'm just going to be honest. These aren't my favorite two episodes of the French Village. Uh, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just put it out there for your reaction right away to say that I think that the showing up of Kurt, the reemergence of Kurt, is annoying. Uh, I tend to agree with that. As you know, I don't love the character of Lucienne to begin with, and so I think that the less the more Lucienne uh, is this a central figure, the less good the show tends to be. Um, that's not a universal rule, but I'm not I'm not a big fan of the Lucienne plot lines, which is complicated because I am a big fan of Dario plot lines, uh, and those do intersect. So I'm not like you know I don't want to be hard line about this. I do think the, uh, I'm just going to be very blunt and crude about this, the uh, sex with the uh, the rotting mummy scene is one of the worst scenes in the show. Um, and uh, since the Kurt reemergence all kind of leads up to that, uh, I have to agree with you. It's not one of the great uh, plot lines. That said, there are some other really good moments in these episodes. Let's let's review the bidding. We've got the two most horrible women in the show, Hortense and Janine, uh, having a showdown with one another. And of course, uh, betrayal uh, emerges. We have the... Um, the uh, uh, the mysterious disappearance of uh, uh, of um, uh, Muller, who is in American custody and he's in big trouble, and God damn it, the show makes us worried about him. Uh, this is like the, the worst character in the show, <laughs> and uh, they've made you a little concerned for him. We've got. The reconciliation, which I think is a great uh, 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 set of scenes between uh, the re-meeting of Marquette and Rita um, uh, and their uh, Marquette meeting his uh, son and then um, confessing to her that he had hanged Marie that morning and then arranging for her safe passage to the resistance. Um, so uh, I agree. Oh, and then we have the the Melis uh, taking over the school and a standoff developing between them uh, and the uh, the good guys, um, uh, including De Caverne's uh, re-emergence on the show only to get shot and held hostage moments <laughs> later. Um, so um, I think there's a lot of good stuff in this episode, but I agree with you that the, 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 uh, the whole um, re-emergence of Kurt as a, as a gasping mummy is not the show's finest hour. Yeah, and so I just want to talk about it and get it out of the way because you're Wait, right. Can we call other... this the gasping mummy edition? I mean, maybe. <laughs> I think that's a little bit mean. Like, <laughs> if we're just going to be true to the characters, he did get burned in a tank, uh, tank fire. I'm sad for him, uh, you know, I guess. But I just like, I, I mean, one of the things I love about the show is that I think that it mostly tries to do things that feel true. And that uh, when it strays into these fantastical things, I mean, and there's a bunch of them where like, you're like, oh, this is crazy, but I could totally see how it could happen. You know, there's lots of that stuff or like that there's real stories of that that did happen. But I don't know, like Kurt's been all over the continent or like, not a continent, but like, yeah, all over. And like, 
He just happens to be like dragged past Villeneuve again and show up at Lucien's school. I don't know. Yeah, Come on. no, no. It so this is a real. We have praised the show at many points for its historical realism. This point is not historically realistic. So Kurt is a sergeant. So he's you know quite low ranking. He has no discretion over where he goes. He is sent to the Eastern Front uh, to, to Russia um, in uh, 41. Uh, first of all, the percentage of those soldiers who uh, are killed is extremely high. Um, uh, secondly, among those who are not killed, a uh, hundred plus thousand uh, are uh, surrendered at Stalingrad. So we have to presuppose he's not one of them. Those all get marched off to Siberia and, you know, only a few thousand of them ever come home. Uh, among the troops that are retreating, that retreat is still ongoing in this period. And so how a soldier, uh, a, a kind of line sergeant from, uh, you know, on the Eastern Front gets permission to come back to a uh, to Villeneuve is uh, never even they don't even try to explain it. And I just don't think it's very plausible. I don't think it's plausible. And so it ends up being like entirely this narrative device, which just to me was annoying because it's like he can't talk. So you listen to him like gasp throughout the episode uh, and but have this like, yeah, I, I agree with you. I was the sex scene. Look, I, and there's a place where I could go and say like, oh, you know, he he maybe he thinks he's going to die. And so like like one last. But like it looks like she's going to kill him. Like it look like the like here's the thing. This just let's just t we'll take them at their word for a second. But let the story at its word. Larche is like, give him a couple days. And, you know, if he survives, Larche, he who's get just cut an incision in his throat. It is to like. And he's lost a lot of blood. Larche gives instructions about how to take care of him. It means it includes ointment, make sure he's breathing properly, and obviously sex. Yeah. And look, I'm not, I, maybe, maybe he was truly up for it. I just, I'm skeptical <laughs> with burns over 40% of his body. Yeah. He's just been like, it's just not part of the standard treatment on. for burns. <laughs> He's just been like operated on, like uh, in a, the bluntest without any anesthesia. And he's just like still up for it. Like, yeah. oh my God, give me a break. Uh, I can't take it. it. It was. I mean, he's uh, a strapping specimen of Bavarian manhood and all that. Sure. But come on. Come on. But also her. Like, I'm also just like, give him a minute. <laughs> like, do, do you need this that badly right now? Like, I just, I, I spent, I, 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 it is one of those things where I am like, ready to, you know, throw something at the TV, which almost never happens on this show. Cause I'm normally like riveted and they really, you know, I, I, like you said, like when they make you feel sorry or not even sorry, like you're concerned for Mueller because you don't want to stop watching him and, you know, uh, and you're invested in his future. I am just, I'm not invested in this. I think, you know, there was, if, if we, if Kurt was going to survive, there was a perfectly plausible way a letter could have shown up, um, you know, down the road and given us some word of Kurt in a way that just wasn't so ridiculous. And also, if we're going to have the stupidest sex scenes on the planet, like you can't even, she gets one lesbian kiss, no lesbian sex scene, but I got to right. watch, I got to watch this like weird Phantom of the Opera, like, you know, yeah, it's, it's I, anyway, so we can, I, we I don't mean, have like, to. We, yeah, there, I, I, I do think the, the weight of, uh, of the uh, uh, wheezing mummy sex versus lesbian sex is off. Uh, it's it, it's not balanced. It's not. It's not. Uh, Ian, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, also, I'm, I'm here for that, for that yeah, criticism. For that analysis. Uh, yeah. And then the, the other thing I'll say, though, there is this, like, <laughs> the, one, the only thing I kind of like about this storyline is, like, to me it is funny 
and not, I mean, not ha ha funny, but like cosmically funny that she literally just lets this other guy die next to her that she's supposed to be caring for. Cause that is peak Lucianne though. We can say that that is true to the character of like, I have found this other thing that interests me. That's more important to me. And because the entire world revolves around me, I'm not going to focus on that. And this other guy, oops, he died. And to do it all with that concerned moral look on your face that it, you know, that you've, you're pained, um, um, but the 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 gasping uh, bandage guy is is really compelling to me, and and the guy that Larche needs to keep alive to make sure that Gustave doesn't get executed uh, is just lower priority objectively. Uh, yeah, and, and so, but also, so like, let me ask you this: tell the truth. Did you know that was going to be Kurt? No. Oh, really? Really? 100% I knew it. The first time I saw it, I was like, this is, that's going to be Kurt. Like, why oh, else wow. would they? No, no, I, I was, to be, f- like, to be fair to the show on this, I was taken completely by surprise by it, and I was annoyed by it from the beginning. Mm. Um, You know, I, I think it was like, uh, I was not expecting it. I was... I, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the guy in the bandages. Um, so there was too much like kind of half acknowledging him, like the unnamed, you know, all this stuff where, uh, you know, I just felt like they were giving you just enough that he was going to become relevant and that it was probably Kurt. And that I was going to be very annoyed by that revelation. And then when it did happen, I was like, Ugh, this is the worst. Okay. Um, well, let's dispense with that because uh, I'm gonna just I'm gonna give the show a mulligan and pretend like that didn't happen. And let's, let's talk, start. Well, let's talk about the the uh, the Gustav situation, which we did not talk about last week. Mm. Um, and it actually seems to me important. Uh, Gustav is trading on the black market. He's like 12 or 13 years old now. He's got he's about to get killed. Um, and uh, Larche steps in for him and, you know, in true like 12 or 13 year old fashion, he cannot, uh, doesn't seem to want to forgive his uncle for saving his life and taking care of him. There is this like funny thing where like a teenager would literally rather, it was like over his dead body. He would literally <laughs> rather be shot by the Germans than have to say a nice word to his uncle or thank him. Uh, that's like teenage angst really at its peak. Right. But he, he can get along with Mueller though, you know, who he doesn't <laughs> like, like I think the portrayal of Gustav as a surly, a surly kind of preteen is pretty great. Um, he, his, his priorities are completely fucked up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yet you kind of understand his rage because his, you know, his mother uh, dies of, of consumption or whatever she had. Uh, his father neglects him and then gets, uh, gets himself uh, shot. He has to live with his bourgeois uncle, who's a collaborator. And, then has to live with the guy who shot his, had his dad shot, who wants a kind of buddy buddy relationship with him, um, and uh, and whom he can't bring himself to shoot or denounce. And so he does what any reasonable preteen would do. He goes out and tries to make some money and have a little exciting time trading on the black market. And then his uncle comes in, his uncle whom he hates comes in and saves the day. It sucks to be 13. <laughs> yeah. And his buddy just, because they shoot his buddy, like yeah. they're both on their knees. There is this little, this, these episodes to me, I'm just sort of like, all right. It's like, you're Daniel's just running up for some unreason, unknown reason. And it's like, they've got, they're about to Gustav's on his knees. They've just shot his friend. They're like, where did you come from? Who alerted you to this? Uh, whatever. Uh, but yeah, Daniel, like, I think that um, Gustav's feelings about – it makes more sense to me why he would feel a weird fascination with Mueller. Like, because he is now 
if there's nothing that Gustav has seen, it's that he sort of, he's grown up around a lot of ideological purity and, uh, and a, and a sense of like commitment to a cause. And like, he, there may, might be something in, in Muller radical for his own cause that Gustav actually finds more interesting than his bourgeois collaborating uncle who his dad also kind of hated. So, you know, you could see how that, uh, you know, my dad never liked you. I don't have to like you. And yet, who is the only stabilizing thing in his life who's been good to him uh, and who has, you know, protected him and housed him and fed him uh, when everything in his life was falling apart? I mean, you know, like you could say, Danielle Larche is the only good thing that's ever happened to to Gustave, uh, other than, you know, the occasional school friend like Helen, who is, is dead. Um, and, um, you know, he's, uh, it, it's a bit of a bite that hands the hand that feeds you situation. Yeah. I mean, he should, I mean, yes, Daniel's, he should, he should be acting like this is the problem with teenagers, right? They like literally <laughs> they suck. He's like, yeah, they're just, just nothing but just hormones and angst. Uh, and you know, God forbid you, you would say thank you for the, to the person who saved your life. Um, it's funny. Like there's that point where the German soldier says, you should thank your uncle. And he just walks off. His life's just been spared, but who has the time? There's a Nirvana album that he's got to go listen to or something. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so the, 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 but the first, the first of our pair of episodes starts with actually kind of a, a scene that I, that I really like, uh, which is the shootout bloodbath at the train station. Um, and this is actually where I think the show does well, because we've been like sort of marinating in the train station. Like we know, we know who all the players are right now. You've got the militia there, uh, they're with their families. We understand how that has shifted the dynamic for what they're willing to do because they don't like to kill other people in front of their families. Uh, which I think is an interesting undertone to all of this, how, how they're, they behave differently. And when there's women and children there, they are totally unwilling to do any executing of anybody. Um, you've got the German, uh, general who's just hung everybody, uh, and who we've seen be, you know, mostly a terrible, you know, just a sadist throughout. Uh, and he wants these Jews killed. And then you've got Rita and the baby, uh, David over in the corner, uh, you know, with, with, with all of the, the other Jews that they're trying to transport, um, and you've got Marchetti in his civilian, you know, get up costume trying to kind of hide. And so it's like you, you, you've been, you've been now in this station for a little bit and you, they've allowed the tension to build up around Marchetti and what is he going to do? And when the German says, we're just going to shoot all these people, like shoot them and let's get out of here. Uh, Marchetti, you know, kind of at the last minute, you know, shoots him, everybody starts shooting, uh, and they run out. Um, but that is a, a sort of an exciting, that to me is a more exciting kind of, but believable scenario. Yeah. And it, and it has to do with the, you know, the German racial hierarchy is such that they are basically incapable of loyalty the SS is basically incapable of loyalty to people who work with them who are not Germans. And so they, you know, they look at these French militia who are committed fascists, who are, um, you know, have actually, you know, are threatened by the people who are fighting the Germans, whom they've promised safe passage to. And they can't actually figure out how to deal honorably with them. Um, so they, the train isn't happening, the train that they'd promised them. Where, um, and so they offer them trucks that don't exist in exchange for killing this group of Jews that they now cannot you know, send out by train. Um, and this puts the milice in a uh, in an untenable position by their own uh, uh, 
you know, fucked up moral lights, which is, you know, they're happy to murder people, but not in front of their families, you know, please (laughs) don't, don't take away our hypocrisy. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, that's an affront to our, our standing in the community. We're, we're murderers, but we're not open murderers. Jesus. Um, And of course, Merketi, who has no such hesitation, I mean, he's literally just hanged Marie with his own hands in front of lots of people, but he has this one thing that he is committed to, which is this idea that redemption for him lies in Rita, uh, and she's there among the kid with the kid, which is of course his son. And uh, so though you have the sense that he would have shot the rest of the Jews at the station himself, uh, he would rather uh, trigger a firefight between the Milice and the Germans uh, than, uh, um, than let Rita be harmed. So he, tr- you know, shoots uh, the German general and uh, uh, and triggers this firefight, which of course sets up the rest of the uh, the episodes where the Milice now have no German allies. They think there are these trucks at the school, so they go take the school and, of course, don't find the trucks because the Germans are, you know, lying Nazis um, and the. Uh, and he escapes with Rita and the baby. Yeah, baby David. Um, what did you did you like these scenes? There's the, the, this the scenes that they set up where Marchetti is, you know, asking to hold the baby, is trying to get food for the baby. Like you know, has this like existential. I would like to hold my son. Time is short for him. He feels like, but he also sees this as maybe a last chance. Maybe they'd escape with him. He like sees the possibility of this life with Rita and the baby. Um, He definitely doesn't care about anybody else though. Like, yeah, right. That he would have killed Rita and the baby are the only reason that anything matters to him whatsoever. And it is all about him and his own happiness as it has always been with Rita. And like, it is sort of interesting when he talks to her, because she is like disgusted by him, except you also sort of get the sense she still has like weird feelings for him. Um, but he, I don't know. He he like he he seems uh, like he like he he kind of wants to explain himself to her, and yet he's totally willing to tell her the truth about who he is, like that he's a bad guy. He killed Marie, um, and yet he's sort of trying to beg her to be with him. I, it's like. Uh, I think that maybe the reason I don't love these two episodes just in general is like everyone is being, everyone's bad. Like we're having to live, uh, even the people like the sympathy that we're trying, like I, you feel, I do, right? Like when Marie, when, when he's talking to Rita and he's like, can I hold, can I hold him? You're like, Rita, let him hold him. Like that's his son. And then you're like, blah, Marchetti's the worst. He just killed Marie that day. <laughs> uh, and so I, I don't know, but how did what did you make of those scenes with Rita? I liked them very much. I thought they were very real. Um, and you know, Marketi is pretty inexplicable. Um, and I think her reaction to him is, you know, pretty interesting, actually. She refuses to give him the redemption that he wants from her. Um, she refuses to acknowledge that he, um, is fully human. Um, and, uh, she grudgingly lets him protect her and the baby. Um, but she refuses to let him to to honor his role in protecting her at all 
because it came at the expense of the deaths of other people, including her mother. Um, and, um, and I think his reaction to that, which is to basically plead with her, um, and he becomes convinced that only she can give him forgiveness. He doesn't care about the forgiveness of anybody else. Um, you know, he doesn't seem to mind that the resistance people call him the butcher of Villeneuve. Um, but he minds that she do doesn't see him as somebody who had horrible choices to make and made them. Um, and he finds it upsetting that there's a Swiss cop who did better than he did. Um, and, um, and I think he is completely unsympathetic, um, partly because he spends so much time sympathizing with himself. And, um, and, you know, um, and I think the resolution of it, which is that he hides her until he can pass her off to some resistance people who are looking for him, that she kind of respects his role in protecting her by not turning him over to them, but leaves him on his own without much of a backward glance there's something very satisfying about that as the end of their relationship. And so I thought it was in contrast to the Kurt and, uh, uh, and Lucien uh, matter uh, elegantly handled and uh, quite moving from beginning to end. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that st struck me watching it is when he tells her about Marie uh, and this is this is going to happen a lot as the show gets into its later or in the later parts is you try to remember what is the relationship between different characters? Uh, because if you recall, Marie saved Rita's life. Uh, remember, it is Rita that goes to find the resistance. She pulls up on a bike and it's the night that Marie and the other, uh, you know, early resistors um are trying to have that like big powwow and Rita tells her when she recognizes uh what's his name uh what was his name see now we're like three seasons back but the 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 Jewish guy whose wife and daughter were killed the daughter you just mentioned her Ezekiel uh, yeah but I, yeah I can't remember his last name but but Cohen but she's no 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 not 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 Ezekiel Cohen. Um, although it's interesting oh, you bring oh, up. Oh, you mean um you you mean uh Cremieux. Cremieux, thank you. Oi. Uh yes. Uh so so remember, so she shows up and Marie lets her in and she recognizes Cremieux, says she just saw him at the police station with Marchetti, and it's what tips them all off and ends up saving their lives. It's like the it's like I the, had forgotten that. And so, and so when he, th and, but this is, this is what, um, they don't tell it to you, right? They don't bother reminding you. They're not flashbacks. And this is what I love about the show. Um, and probably if I hadn't watched it twice, I would be having a harder time with this. But in this instance, I was like, that's right. Uh, I like, I, cause I clocked it then later for, or, or I would, anyway, the point is, is that they had a relationship. And so. Rita has feelings about the killing of Marie. Marie's not just some random person. She's somebody she had met, known, and who helped save her life one time. Yeah, and also Rita is a basically moral person um, who is very aware that this horrible person who has done all these terrible things is the only reason she's alive. Um, and that's a complicated situation to be in and that she had, I don't know if she was ever in love with him, but she was, <clears throat> she was shacked up with him in a, um, in a, uh, uh, in a 
relationship that was not wholly without feeling. Um, and she was, had, you know, had his baby. Um, and, uh, and he had protected her even while killing her mother. Um, you know, that's a pretty complicated set of emotional inputs to have in 1944 where there are still German soldiers romping around and there's militia who, you know, whose only reservation about killing you is whether their families are going to see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will just also say, I've always liked the actor who plays Marchetti um, because I do yes. think he does this, 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 I think he does a very good job. And in these scenes, like he's perfect where he goes from monster to sort of like sad, lost little boy, just wanting Rita to love him and just wanting her to like, let him hold his baby. And like, and I, I just, that, that he, the transition and he's always been that way, right? He's like that way with Hortense and, um, where, where he gets, uh, where he is sort of this, this super bad guy, uh, and in many ways almost pretending to be as bad a guy. Like, it's like he learns from Mueller how to be a worse guy. Uh, but, but you see deep down, there's this like desire to be loved and it does, it keeps him just human enough the whole time, um, that you can like continue to, to move on with him as a character. Um, so, uh, okay. Uh, I, I, I want to talk, I just, I'm just gonna, there's, there's actually a second also terrible, uh, it's not a, I don't know if it's a terrible sex scene, but like, Suzanne and Antoine try to like make out and there's, and, and they do it's like more a, of a bad sex. Scene yeah, that's right. Than a, than a bad <laughs> sex scene. Yeah. There are seduction method includes like a weird rock scissors paper, uh, foreplay situation that I was like, boy, yeah, that, uh, that, I, there are many, uh, eroticisms. I, I have to say rock, paper, scissors, shoot has, Never measured on that list for me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, so that whole thing, I, I couldn't, I, I wasn't that into all that. But the, the best scene, the absolute best scene, I was like excited to see this scene again, is the scene where Hortense gets arrested. She gets put with the other women. She's being held. And after she sort of fails to semi try to like flirt with the American captain to try to get, you know, leniency and explain that she was just a prostitute who didn't know this guy. And she's lying to him, uh, gets, gets put in this holding cell and sees Janine and is so imagine the familiar face. Imagine getting to see somebody from your town that you knew. Uh, and so this is another one where you got to go through your Rolodex though and say, how have these two characters interacted in the past? And the easiest one to sort of come up with is the Chisanya dinner where Hortense and Muller are sitting across from Janine and Chisanya and uh, Muller puts his face in the mashed potatoes. Uh, but then Hortense reminds you. So you're like, these two women haven't been like friends at all. Uh, and then Hortense reminds you uh, as she sort of tries to apologize to Janine for the fact that Shasanya got killed because uh, they were having sex because he was blackmailing her with sex. And, and that Janine knew from Shasanya at the jail that he says to Janine, like, I had sex with Hortense. I can't, like, I can't remember exactly how he, like, explains it, but that that is the relationship between the two is funny. Yeah, and and I think it's, it's a wonderful sequence that, you know, Hortense tries to apologize in, in the way that, you know, Hortense is capable of apology. Um, and Janine's response is, oh, don't worry about it. That guy had no future anyway. I just, uh, you know, it was like, it was like he, he was used goods and I had to move on anyway. So, you know, getting him shot by the Germans was, uh, you know, probably a convenience. Uh, and Hortense does not take this as, she takes it as the sort of forgiveness she was looking for, um, which is, by the way, like, it should have been a warning, you know? 
Um, and then in the very next moment, of course, Janine buries her to the Americans. Cause like having said, no, I'm just the kind, you know, don't apologize. I'm just the kind of person who throws people to the German wolves as soon as they become inconvenient. Hortense becomes inconvenient momentarily later, and she throws her to the wolves. Um, well, not just inconvenient. Janine is like, I can trade information to yeah. throw this person under the bus so that you'll treat me better because they've just watched a couple of people get hauled off to be handed over to the resistance. And she just says, no, I'll, I'll trade you information and completely dimes her out while standing there. And and the, the, the point is she's just told Hortense exactly who she is. And Hortense, it's like, oh, I'm so, it's so good to see you. Um, and she's like, I'm a, I'm a traitorous, murderous, you know, uh, uh, horrible person. And she's like, oh, it's so great to see you. Uh, uh, mayor's wife over here, girlfriend of, 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 of Mueller, uh, whose, whose identity we've been trying to protect. Um, yeah, so Janine, uh, let's be fair to her. She is uh, uh, completely honest to Hortense about who she is, and um, and Hortense uh, finds her uh, comforting to be with, and so chooses not to notice that she's basically just said, "I'll betray you at the first opportunity," and then Janine, being Janine, does exactly that. It's even better than that because in the, there's this like sort of long conversation between the two of them in which they reveal and revel in their mutual exploitation as women at the hands of men. And they do this like yes, sister bonding moment. thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know how this is, you know, it's sometimes like whenever in TV shows and guys like they'll do like a crossover episode or whatever, and you'll suddenly see two characters that you like wish you'd see together. You suddenly get the chance to see them together. And like, we've seen them in scenes together before, like just absolutely sparingly. The dinner one's actually the only one I can really come up with. But this one in the way that Marcel and Shasanya being in the jail cell together found solidarity and like went to their deaths together. Like these two have been competing the entire show for who is the most selfish cold, like worst human ever. And I just got to say, I think in this scene, you you get a definitive answer that nobody is going to outmaneuver Janine. She is the yeah. top bitch in charge. The worst I, so of I, the worst. I, I think that's right. Like, because I think Hortense, for all that she is the worst, would never have done that to Janine. No. <laughs> right? like, and Janine does it. Um, without, you know, without a moment's hesitation. Um, and, and she's not sorry about it. And there's like, sorry. she doesn't spend a moment. Like she tries the old, uh, daddy can get me out of this trick. And that doesn't work because the Americans aren't too impressed with who her dad is. And then, the moment she needs this, she's like, SS girlfriend <laughs> over here. <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, I think that's right. There's like, like, this is a top dog situation. Yeah. I, I loved it so much. It's so elegant and perfect for these characters and, uh, and whoever, whatever, whoever was sitting in the writer's room being like, let's get them held in the same cell and like, let them, you know, tear each other in pieces. And then, but it's not even but like, let them bond and then throw each other on the bus. It's just, it's perfect. I, I loved it. Um, almost as much as I loved seeing Dick Vern show up. Uh, in fact, wait, I actually like that scene way more than Dick. Dick Avern showing up, but it is fun to see Dick Avern show up in his trench coat and his I'm in charge attitude, at least for the first episode. I must say in the second episode, by the time he gets shot, I'm like, you're the worst, dude. I forgot about how, like, I forgot about the fact that you are entirely retrograde in most of your opinions and, um, you know, kind of, an, just kind of an asshole. He... And and I I thought the show is pretty courageous in in depicting this because Dick Cavern is a uh, is somebody who you start out disliking, 
you start out with seeing a lot of negative attitudes toward his, you know, his, uh, um, but then the show builds him up and over time, you know, he becomes more and more admirable. And then he walks in in this situation and he's, you see all the things you didn't like about him right away. He's imperious. He has retrograde attitudes toward women. He has no, um, no respect for the, uh, the, uh, the, the work that was done by people on the ground who didn't leave. And this is reflects a genuine tension between the Gaullists and the, the London Gaullists and the, uh, and local resistance. That was a real issue and was a persistent issue for many years after the war. Um, and he comes in and thinks he knows everything and, you know, he's reestablishing the third Republic and, you know, uh, and Suzanne is just a, you know, a little peon in the way to be brushed out of the way. And by the way, the fact that she had an affair with uh, Marcel is something condemnable uh, in her uh, because she had a husband who was a POW and he's instantly dislikable um, in exactly the way that he was dislikable at the beginning of the show. And they don't give him, they give him like two minutes of triumphal uh, entry <laughs> before ripping him back down. Yeah. And, or just making us, you know, be like, you know, this guy, we're not changing his character. He's, he's, he is, he's, he is, uh, he's the person that you remember. Um, he's the same guy who was slapping that prostitute, uh, without, without a second thought to get the information that he wanted. Um, but like, you also know, he knew Marie. Remember he knew Marie. Well, Marie saved his life. Well, he and recruited Marie. He re that's, that's right. Uh, after he saw that she, like, she was the one who started her on that journey, which is part of what's interesting, um, about his sort of the, how, how intense, how intensely he's doing the like anti women stuff. Like, I, and I actually sort of like the conversation he has with Antoine where he's like, this isn't really for women. And, you know, we gotta, we gotta reassert the, the natural order here of men being in charge. And Antoine is more confused than anything else because Antoine's 40 years younger and uh, has just been through um, this whole thing with Marie and with Suzanne where he's seen women play really important roles. And I bet that this is, this strikes me as very true, that a lot of the advancements for women came from their active participation in ways that just showed people like Antoine isn't doesn't have like a theory on women he has a he has an experience of something he's just watched and he's like so why would you think about it this way and and it's it's interesting because it's the the women stuff is kind of wrapped up in De Caverne's broader disregard for what the resistance has done and I think that while the misogyny is maybe the part that I have just like a gut reaction to listening to the the bigger flaw in Dick Avern is that he seems totally unwilling to give these people credit for the fact that they've been the ones on the ground living in the woods fighting and he's been off somewhere else and he walks in with his piece of paper and says, you know, I'm here to establish order. And Suzanne has every right to be like, who are you prick? Like, where do you, where do you get the, where do you get the gall? No pun intended. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, so, that, that was how I took it. So a couple, a couple of things. Um, uh, Dick Havan here is, um, is reflecting an actual debate that happened in France in 1944. So people forget this, but women, France was like the last Western country to grant women the vote. And it happened, I think I'm, I may be misremembering this, but I think it happened just before Normandy. Um, you know, de Gaulle was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do women's suffrage. And so 
you know, you had this situation where you had the Marie Germains and the, you know, and the, you know, Suzanne's, you know, people who were doing sort of major on the ground stuff. And, you know, France still didn't, women didn't have the vote until like right around this period. And so, you know, there are a lot of Decaverne sort of French bureaucrats who, um, you know, were anti-Nazi, but, uh, you know, the idea that women would be part of a decision-making apparatus was silly. Um, and I think the show is, is, you know, is sort of depicting that. Yeah. So according, I just looked this up according to, um, uh, the women's suffrage, uh, uh, Wikipedia entry, uh, French women were granted suffrage in July 1944 by Charles de Gaulle's government in exile by a vote of 51 for and 16 against. France had been for about a decade the only Western country that did not at least allow women's suffrage at municipal elections. So, you know, you're, you are talking about a situation in which a lot of, you know, a lot of, so he's, De Caverne is coming in here as a as a as the new prefect, and he's a sixty some odd year old guy who's pretty used to women not being involved in stuff, and so he he looks at Suzanne as um, as uh, you know like the idea that she feels entitled to a voice in the conversation is just uh, not intuitive to him at all. Yeah, like he literally, he basically calls her like a mouthy broad or something. (laughs) something. And like, you are at this point, like you haven't seen Dick Avern in a while, but you've been hanging with Suzanne. You've watched her do some some real things and like watching him be dismissive of her. He like, yes, my goodwill like transferred my body toward him like very quickly uh, to the point where when he gets shot, I'm like, I don't care if he lives or dies, whatever. (laughs) Whoa. Uh, Yeah. uh, So I think that the the show's, bringing him back, ripping him down and then getting you shot and make getting him shot and a lot making a lot of things turn on whether he lives or dies um uh is a is a kind of stroke of brilliance because <laughs> you know it 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 pulls you in like five directions at the same time um that is true cuz you do you don't want him to die because literally he's the bargaining chip well, so he's the bargaining chip for the militia, uh, but and 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 that's the big debate that we're kind of left at the end with here, right? Is what are we going to do? What's the militia going to do? What's the resistance going to do? This the Germans, you know, pack up and leave, uh, like at the break of dawn. Um, but they don't Kurt, bother to bring Kurt with them, it, which is a pain in the ass because now we're going to have to deal with the Kurt Lucien thing for the next few episodes. <laughs> Take him. Come on. Bring back uh, Berio. I mean, Bring also, back Berio. How does she get him up to that bedroom? I don't know. The, the whole this, thing. Let's talk about other stuff. I yeah, mean, yeah it, sorry. All right. So the, 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 but you do get the sense. So the Germans are gone. Uh, the There's that Panzer unit that that they're the ones that, that left. Uh, so now we really just have the militia. And we're setting up a showdown between the resistance and the militia. And a lot of resistance guys are getting shot. Uh, but the militia seems to be taking a last stand, but also seems like aware that they might just need to go out in a blaze of glory, uh, like suicidal glory, that they're not feeling as optimistic that they're going to make it. Yeah. Um, and again, this is invoking history that I don't know well. Um, uh, my instinct is, uh, is that a, I, I seem to remember that a bunch of militia, re- in fact, retreated with the Germans. Um, but I, you know, a lot of them were executed uh, after the war. Um, I don't know how realistic this account of uh, militia sort of basically taking over a school and and holding hostages and using it to negotiate uh, is. Uh, it seems plausible enough Um uh, and the fact that the individuals are depicted as sort of seriously strung out, um, you know, a bunch of them are very young, 
uh, and, you know, kind of didn't quite know what they were signing up for when they did this, but now they're, uh, you know, tied together like a gang, basically. And they're, they're basically, uh, you know, they have this commander who's, uh, who thinks he's fighting for something, but it's really skin deep. And basically they're just trying to avoid summary execution at this point. Uh, and, you know, very willing to kill people. Yeah. And Antoine goes in and basically tries to give them an out, uh, and they don't take it. So his, you know, Anton's, uh, offer Antoine's offer, sorry. Anton is the, is one of the uh, militia guys. Antoine's offer is not a compelling one. I mean, it's, it's not a great offer. You know, it's like, we'll, you know, if he's alive, we'll, we'll trade for him and we won't kill you now. Um, you know, we'll do it later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I would maybe take it, but, but I don't know. Um, all right. We gotta, we gotta wrap. We're up against a hard stop right now. Um, and Ben, anything, any last thoughts before we go? Uh, yeah, I, I, want to as part of the occasional series of French village dating advice um don't date mummies um once they are once they need incisions to breathe um and they're completely wrapped in bandages this is not a good time for sex all right um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's true. I'm just going to I want to end with one positive thing about Lucienne. Like cuz I will just say Kurt is very badly burned. Like he looks like Two-Face from Batman. And I guess to the extent that we've always sort of thought of Lucienne as perhaps a bit shallow, she does seem to love Kurt with the kind of purity that the fact that he would live the rest of his life potentially unable to speak and pretty seriously disfigured doesn't seem to dissuade her in the slightest, which right, I will, which I will put as a point in her column. Yeah. But maybe she should have thought of that before she married Berio. Um, you know, like she's, she's such a weird character. She's capable of eternal love for Kurt combined with this, um, very tactical. Well, this guy really seems to be in love with me and is, is, uh, nice enough and uh, a sweet guy, and I I kind of like him. Uh, so I'll I'll marry him for purely tactical reasons, and I'll be appalled at the lesbianism of of our house guest. But that won't stop me from having a a, a, a fling with her. Um, and but you know, but if Kurt is burned head to toe. I'm I'm with him for life. I mean, there's there's something very strange about Lucienne's commitments. She really loves Kurt. I don't know. It all makes sense to me. I think I I think from a, a I think it's all plausible. I I just found the narrative of Kurt showing up how he did and all of that implausible. Uh, all right, Ben, you're on. We are gonna leave it there. We will be back next week, and until then, Edith. Take us home. Nous nous aimions bien tendrement. Hommes t'aiment tous les amants.